Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Mooncast. Today I'm going to have uh, Richie on from Goblin King Games, which is great. Uh, we're going to be talking about the narrative in Moonstone, or the fluff as a lot of people like to call it. Um, I'm going to let Richie start by giving a background and then hopefully we'll have a relatively open discussion about the narrative. Because I really like the narrative in Moonstone, it's really interesting, um, it's well written... Um, and the narrative behind the characters is really interesting as well. So, let's get Richie on the phone and see what he has to say. Okay, uh, I've got Richie on the line. Hello, Richie. Hello, hello. Hello, Hello, welcome to Mooncast. It's an Um, absolute pleasure to be here. Yes, good to have you on. Good to have you on for episode four. Um... Hopefully it won't go on as long as the one I had with Tom. We'll see. <laughs> that being a very like it's fun, but it's very long. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so I got Richie on today to talk about the narrative. We yes. moved in the fluff behind it because uh, uh, Richie's the main writer. Um, okay. you, there were some other contributors, weren't there, in, in book one? But you, you were the you you did the main narrative, didn't you? That's correct. Uh, I believe the terminology used in the credits is background and storytelling lead. I like to use the, the term world builder myself. It's a little bit of pretentious yeah, yeah, nonsense. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that is a really nice title. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. Cool. Um, well, what I think we'll start off with, for those uh, listeners who haven't got the deluxe full book, by the oh, way, if you haven't, just, just a simple thing. <laughs> haven't got it you should buy it because <laughs> it's amazing um but but some people might not got it yet they will because yeah. it's amazing but if i haven't got it yet i think it'd be really good if you gave as brief or as long a uh synopsis of yeah. the main storyline in book one that'd okay. be really good so We've got an interesting thing with book one is that um, we've got a timeline that covers the events that lead from the almost primal Torba to modern day. Then we've also got a couple of, of well, a number. I, I don't actually know how many are off the top of my head, but a number of um, short stories that also give an idea of different characters and how the events go on and how they interact with them amongst each other. Um so to give a very quick thing to do with the introduction to, as to the timeline of the world, to explain why the world is the way it is, is that originally um, Torba, the planet or the land or whatever it is, as it were, you know, the people there don't know. Um, it was originally quite a tribal place with everyone all over the place living separately or fighting and arguing. And there were, there were no people really in control. And... Down from the down from the bottom, at the bottom of the continent, you had a kingdom that was ruled by a king, and he wanted to take over as much land as possible. So he sent out his three sons to try and take his, take what he could, and via a combination of backstabbery and making alliances and breaking alliances and just being generally a bit of a dick, um, he managed <laughs> to take over a huge number, of, a huge amount of Torba. Um, and in doing so, formed the Dominion. And what happened then, of course, was um, as is always the way with a person who acts, you know, you live by being a dick, you die by being a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Don't read into that. (laughs) And um, he basically ended up being killed by his own son, who goes on to um, 
then uh, become the tyrant, as it were, who took the dominion from being a controlled thing and into an absolute into a tyranny where nobody liked it. Everybody was horrible and it was just pretty rubbish, except for the special elites, because what they did was they took over from the main capital city that was originally owned by the fairies and more importantly, Queen Diana, which was the city of Moonreach. And now, yeah. originally, Moonreach was a um, a a place that was an untapped resource for magic, and so therefore the uh, the humans of the Dominion who took over this, they started using this to fuel their own lives and to keep themselves a lot longer alive for a lot longer than they should have been. So generations pass, and all the the normal the, the commoners as it were all dying off and going through the usual, you know you know the way things are was these same people are still going um all until one day a bunch of uh, plucky gnomes decide that they've had enough and they're going to blow up moonreach by planting some explosives underneath it and in doing so started the commonwealth um things carry on there's a bit more infighting left right and center and we kind of end up where we are today where we have the two different groups the commonwealth who was actually as a result of the massive fracture that happened to um the dominion as the uh, with the destruction of moonreach um the two are now are very, actually quite balanced where the commonwealth have got all the support of the locals of the, of the commoners especially the humans um the dominion now are a goblin focused thing because the goblins saw this opportunity to go ah we've got these people let's let's, let's rise up and take control um because of course the goblin kings are very strategic and sneaky bastards basically <laughs> and that's that's where we are today um there's you know there is conflict there is fighting but it's not your uh you know in the far distant future there's only war type fighting yeah 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 definitely it isn't it isn't it, kind of a, yeah exactly it isn't a 40k it, dark there's exactly. only yeah, it, it, it's, it's it's kind of an truce isn't there yeah i mean i think to be honest it's more like conservatives versus labor <laughs> <laughs> a lot of unnecessary bitching basically <laughs> exactly they don't like each other and i'm pretty sure many of them would stab each other if they had the opportunity but be... <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> but as a general um, rule you know they also do get along where possible yeah yeah they they they, they do there, there is a dialogue between them exactly even if it's slightly heated and exactly and, and that's um one of the and that's one of the things that we tried to bring across in some of our short stories, which is, of course, you know, a nice, a perfect segue, that is. <laughs> and, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there was the story with, was it the mortician? Uh, there, can, was, there was, that was one of them, yes, there was a story with the, the mortician. Short, where he goes into the, like, council chamber, doesn't he, and he kind of disrupts stuff. Um, is that the mortician? I don't know, no, no, that's not, that's not the mortician, that's just one of the wizards who's a goblin. Oh, that's yeah. Not, Yes, the, the mortician is where you've got the, the grand library, and it's all talking about what is magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. But yes, you've got the uh, yeah, he's disrupting things, and but that's, there's a, there's a two, it's actually a two part story, as it were, and the whole point of it yeah. is to explore how the politics of the world works, because we felt while creating this the story that the politics of it had a very important factor, 
And um, one of my own personal favorite moments of writing some of these stories was this one in particular, where the entire story is focused around people being unhappy about the current politics and mood, where the um, Dominion humans are upset that the commoners are, inf- are infringing on their land. Um, the commoners are saying, well, it's all of our land. Why can't we share? Um the fairies think that, that they aren't being given the correct respect. The goblins want to just cause mayhem because they're goblins. Um, and the gnomes are saying, but what about the tea cakes? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I just love the fact that the, sto- the story is written so that at the very end, they all agree that nothing has been settled. So they're going to have another meeting in order to arrange when the f- next meeting is going to be in two weeks time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it, it's all bureaucracy. It sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So they're yeah. having meetings to have meetings. Yeah. So, I mean, my, my day my day job is very much in an office place. I'm very familiar with bureaucracy. I mean, it's not just an office place; it's a finance office place. You know, I know how bureaucracy works, and I know how it's so in from my point of view enjoyable to parody that. And I thought yeah, having yeah. this situation where it's similar, where you've got this heatedness, where everyone is so intensely focused on their own thing. But everybody yeah, else just thinks just it's completely pointless. Yeah, yes. yeah. Just the like, like the tea cakes. And, they, and, you know, the gnomes <laughs> think it's the most important thing there is. There is yeah. nothing more important than their tea cake allowance. But everyone else is like, what the hell are you talking about? Everyone else is like, but we need to share out the farmland correctly. We need to make sure we've got enough resources. <laughs> no tea cakes. Exactly. <laughs> so the, 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 the gnomes are kind of like the monster-waving loony party of the situation. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So thinking about the two, the two, I know there's. We'll we'll get to the third faction later, but the Dominion and the Commonwealth. Yes. One thing that actually that has just popped into my head was something that I've I've thought about before. They're not they're not like good and evil necessarily, are they? No, absolutely no. Because because when you when you look at the sort of imagery of them, you think about humans and gnomes being the Commonwealth. Yeah. And then goblins and basically not pretty spiteful fairies mm-hmm. they, they 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 on the surface without the narrative behind them you would think of yes commonwealth being good and dominion being evil absolutely but when you explore the narrative a bit further you realize that's not the case in the slightest is it no I mean, that, that was no. intentional that was very much intentional everything has to be a shade of gray and yeah, which I really like about the narrative in it, because actually in a, in a lot of um, gaming stories, there is a quite defined good and evil in it. Yeah. And that basically gets quite boring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you look at, you know, Gaze Workshop's a typical example, you look at something like 40k, you've got, well, actually saying that, that's probably a really bad example, because the that's Imperium really... of Man is not particularly good. <laughs> well, exactly. You know, I mean, if um, your heroes yeah. are space Nazis. But... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, maybe Tau. But anyway, we're going again to go again. But um, okay, well, if, then if you look at maybe then if you look at the old Warhammer fantasy, then yeah, that was you had the Empire, which was good, and you had like lizard men, which were good, and then definitely yeah. had chaos, which was evil. You oh, had yeah. undead, which was evil. You had dark elves, which were evil. You had high elves, were good. Mm-hmm. And and they were and each fa- each army and faction was very much good or evil. There was very yeah. little. There was a little bit in between, but very much it was either good or evil. And what I like about one of the things that I like about the narrative in Moonstone is that that's not the case. Absolutely. Is that actually the humans who look like they're supposed to be good are actually quite dickish. 
<laughs> and like the fairies who you imagine they're supposed to be evil because they're because a lot of them have got traits called spiteful <laughs> and you know and, and they like to mess each other up with and then they like yep. to mess with their opponent but they're actually trying to save things exactly exactly they're actually kind of trying to help exactly they're, they're, they're like hippies of... that actually know what they're talking about as opposed to you know <laughs> yeah yeah um which is really interesting i mean, I mean mm. I, you know I, it works for me because i love fairies but um and i think they are very popular so i think people will be quite interested to know that yes um, but at the same time of course let's not forget that again even the fairies have a, a quite a dark side to them as well oh yeah yeah get wrong. i mean dying and murders of people to, 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 to tend to <laughs> that's, that's, that's fairly evil <laughs> but this, this is one of the good things i like about the fact that you know because i mean tom and i have a brilliant partnership when it comes to design you know we've known each other for longer than i care to imagine um and you know we can bounce ideas off each other but one thing is that um we both get each other's light and dark side and so he is he he definitely brings the comedy value you know if there's a comic if there's a comic character virtually always he's created it if there's a whereas you know i'm very much the other side i'm I'm almost skirting horror and so if there's a character with a bit of a dark side then chances are that's coming back from my side and then my influence Yeah, cool. But well, that's good though. It's good that there's that. Um, you know, most games, I think, are better when you've got some kind of partnership where Absolutely. there's a difference—not to say of opinion, but a difference of idea. Yes. Um, I mean, I think it, it's because it's, 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 if the whole game, if the whole of Moonstone was just comedy, whimsical, and it was all just comedy, then it would appeal to certain audience, but then not to others. Exactly. So if you can get a bit of each in. It, it, but, it appeals to a broader but i also uh, think as well i agree i agree entirely with what you're saying but i also think that in my opinion adding a little bit of spice enhances the sugar if that makes sense so you put yeah, in the we, dark we, yeah. you put in the darkness well, and I'm, it actually makes yeah. the funny yeah. funnier and likewise then it goes backwards backwards so it's actually the, the contrast enhances both and it, yeah you know, but what, what's also nice is you've got you got the kind of almost like slapstick comedy of the gnomes wanting their tea cakes, mm-hmm. um, and then you've got the slow, slightly warped humour of like Silvertongue, who's just there <laughs> scooping people over, um, and like Tito uh, mm-hmm. and Fencer, who are basically just like sadistically funny. Yes, <laughs> you know. So there's still there's still humour in the fairies. And there's yeah. still humor, definitely humour in the goblins, even though you know Beaky Bobby likes to pour acid on people. <laughs> that was you one know. of the first stories I wrote for Moonstone. Yeah. That was. <laughs> yeah, likes to drink things that are going to kill them, but he likes to. He's also laughing at the same time. <laughs> um, so, uh, but and and on the flip side of it, there's Agatha trying to buy lots of love potions to get yeah. fixed in love with her and and he actually looks at the wrong woman and then she's you know and there's that almost like almost like carry on yes <laughs> comedy in that when, and when, when a, our guest writer sent that over to us we were like this is perfect just exactly yeah. like this print just print this yeah. it was oh yeah it was brilliant yeah, yeah this is cool um cool well that was good that was a nice that was a nice little um <laughs> synopsis of so far and that was cool um what was your what was your favourite part of the narrative to write any of it? 
not necessarily uh, what was your favorite part to write or the bit that you thought i'm looking forward to doing this bit the most uh the most i think this is actually a bit weird but it wasn't actually writing as such but it was actually designing the world map okay that's cool um i'd never done anything like that before and um i was working quite closely with our artist uh shane and um, giving like rough rough ideas and coming up with names and things and it was really good because i had free reign to just completely create an entire world and say right well what could exist what do we need what you know so we need you know and it was it was a really enjoyable experience to think about it from terms of not just you know what scenes have you perhaps read about in books or you've seen in in films you would love to see recreated but also other factors of what would exist if it was real but also what sort of terrain do people have on their tables so therefore they can say well wait you know i've got yeah you know, I've got a ruined, you know, I've got a ruined elven temple. So here we go. Let's use that as the uh, the sunken city of Moonreach, for example. Or I've got a, a dwarven um, fortress. Well, that can be the um, the giant's um, citadel in the mountains. You know, all of these different type of things. Um, and that was it was largely because it was so different. I'd never done anything like it before. And it was really, really enjoyable. And every single time I came up with a new location, images of what it would look like was just flooding through my head and so i'm writing out these long explanations to the um to our artist and the funny thing is of course you know i'm going into such detail about the sort of stuff that happened and, and in the end he's doing like here's a house <laughs> that represents that town <laughs> but it was important i felt that you know, it had, yeah i felt that it had to explain certain things um I mean, so as we're hoping to explore more, actually, I can mention slightly in book two um, as part of our um, narrative in book two, um, there are certain aspects that um, are going to be covered in more detail, such as um, along the uh, east side of the map, there's actually a booze trail. Oh, where, you, cool. where you've got um, you, you, so you can't really see it because it's just, it's just a map, it's just place names but the storyline behind them is that you've got one town that basically is a farm town and they all produce all the hops and then they ship it off to the nearest thing that's basically distillery and there's another one that's um, and then they go over to the port to ship it off to the rest of the, rest of the world and it's, a, it's basically a booze trail <laughs> and so, it, so it's, 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 it's little tiny things like that that was so so enjoyable and I and in doing so was able to feed through. So then whenever I was then and it was a brilliant point of reference because then whenever I was then writing about places, I can go, well, I've got this point of reference to say. So if I go, well, if I want to have a story set in a certain woodland, well, what have we got available? Let's put it there. Well, in that case, what's nearby? Do we have pardon me? Do we have human settlements? Do we have goblin settlements? And it almost started to allow certain stories to almost write themselves. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, when you write any story, um, one of the best places to start is where you're setting it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the characters you've got from the characters. <laughs> so um, <laughs> the, the characters are already there for you because either you or Tom or whatever, you, you had the characters there, yeah. um, with their play styles and things started. So you needed a setting, so you, you make a setting and then you can start building stories from there, can't you? So, exactly. Well, that's interesting. That wasn't what I expected you to say, to be honest. But I don't know what I, I don't, I actually, I don't know what I expected you to say, but I didn't. But that's a really, that's a really interesting answer, actually. Um, so, and I, I'll share mine 
afterwards, but okay. I'm interested to know which your and this purely from a narrative point of view, purely from a background of fluffy okay. point of view, which is your favourite character? <laughs> uh, my favourite character from a narrative fluffy background, it's largely because of what's in my head rather than actually written down, <laughs> is uh, Fire Flavius. <laughs> Yeah, I think I already know why. <laughs> well, there's a, it's a combination. It's a combination of this. Um, one, I love the name. Yeah. And for those who don't know, the reason for the name is that when we first had the art done, I looked at it and I showed it to my wife and she saw it and she was like, it looks like he's got a massive clock around his neck, like the artist Flavor Flav. And originally he had a different name and he was, I think he was originally called Friar Gourmand. And so, as a result, we changed him to Fire Flavius. Um, and I, I like, I, I like it, it, it's, it's nicely alliterative as well, so that kind of works. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the thing I really like from it, from a story point of view, is how so little is shown in the book. He is almost a complete mystery, except for the fact that his was it, his likes and dis, his likes and interests are censored. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, there's like hints for elsewhere, isn't there? Yes. Um, like if you read the Kaufman background, yes, it mentions that this list of like items that he's bought. Oh no, no, that's that's, that's actually his background. His background is an invoice, oh, an invoice from the from from yes, Kaufman's merchant merchants. And it's it's, 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 a, it's a pretty odd selection of things, isn't it? Which, which, which <laughs> into a very I mean, sleazy is an understatement <laughs> of what he is probably like. But it he, could be for anything. I mean, just because he's ordered, you know, 20 gallons of, you know, lubricating whale oil doesn't necessarily. <laughs> yeah. And, and like clamps. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he likes to do uh, repairs. I don't know. Yeah, he to do repairs on machinery and he needs to lubricate. Yeah, exactly. I, don't, I don't think he does. But um, he he when I read his background, the, the thing that popped into my head immediately was the character from a Blackadder episode, um, which, and I can't remember which, it's in the Elizabeth, Blackadder second. Yeah. And Monks of the Black, <laughs> Monks of the Black Temple or something, or the Monks of the Black, something or other. I, I, again, I, I think I know the ones you mean. Yeah, um, the Black Abbey or something, and this guy turns up at Blackadder's door and he's, he's borrowed some money and, He's yeah. He's he's like there is nothing beneath me. No debauchous act is is too little for me. To <laughs> and he's like and, you know, and he, he threatens to shove a hot poker up black on his bum. Yes. <laughs> and, so, and that's what came to my head because just that again that kind of supposed to be a holy man, yes. but actually is just pretty horrible. Exactly. Um, and and one thing I like about it is as well is that it's you know this is just one guy. You know, so he is a you know he's a member of the Sons of the Sun. Um, which itself I think is a quite a fun name. Um, yes. yeah, and I like the fact that, you know, he's just one guy. And one of the things I'm looking forward to exploring in book two is what is actually the rest of the religious order like? Mm. You know, because, of course, just because one guy may happen to be, I'm not saying he is, but may happen to be a total deviant, doesn't mean the entire order is. No. Mm, and interesting. So, so I'm really looking forward to exploring it. And the thing is, is that the way because of um, a lot of my writing is actually quite an organic process. Um, 
I don't know at the moment what the order is like because I haven't yeah. written it. And until I write it, I won't know. <laughs> and so for me, yeah. it's actually, you know, I'm looking forward to exploring it. Yeah, sure, that sounds like fun. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I like, like the sun to the sun. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, well, my favourite character, and I, I mentioned this in our dis- my discussion with Tom about fairies, and it's still my favourite, which is Diana. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things with Diana that I love, I and mean, I love the model, which is not, I know it's not, that's not the narrative part of it. <laughs> I think one of the attachments that I always have to Diana is that she was the character I voted for in the Kickstarter. Yes, good man. When when that option, I, mean, I was so excited when 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 that came up in the Kickstarter that we could vote for a character we wanted to be creative. That was a really really nice touch in the Kickstarter. I haven't mentioned before. It was a really. In, I've backed a few Kickstarters before, but nothing where you've been able to vote on something that you wanted. And mm. that was really, that was a really good idea from you guys. Um, and I voted for her, and it, and she obviously won. And I think that created like an attachment. Yeah. To her because I voted for her. Yeah. And uh, what do you think when the art? Then because of course we very very quickly got the art out to show everyone what the result was. What What did you think? Well, it, it was a twelve change of underwear day. <laughs> yeah no the artwork was awesome it was awesome and actually after i then kind of met with you guys and talked to you know and we had an opportunity to at the pub basically yeah. to talk about more the games expert which made me love them even more yeah um about like the voodoo background and stuff mm-hmm. um it was great and um you know even though like obviously she's kind of brutal in the sense that she you know sacrifices her own people to to make herself immortal um that kind of doesn't bother me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind that she does that because at the same time, she's also trying to look after the fairies at the same time, isn't yes. she? You know, she's exactly. trying to maintain the fairies as a functioning. Exactly. I mean, you know, a large. I, mean, I, I, I at the time, I, remember, I think this phrase I use an awful lot of is it, it's um, is that she is inspired by a combination of Mesoamerican human sacrifice and Haitian yeah. voodoo. And so yeah. while you do have the Haitian voodoo side of it with the rituals and this, that and the other, you have the human sacrifice from Mesoamerica. And it's important to remember we're talking about people who a lot of the time would give themselves willingly. And yeah, that's the case that's with the fairies. Kind of think, yeah, that's why I kind of imagine the fairies do, because she's she's from what I you know, her narrative isn't isn't full or anything, but what you kind of what I imagined about her is she is that she's absolutely worshipped by her people. Oh yeah. She is um, loved by them all. She's absolutely adored, and I, and I and I imagine that the so the fairies. I mean, they all. I imagine they all know about it. It's not hidden. Oh, absolutely. It's it's and a I grand. Imagine. I mean, I think when when she when she takes their life force into herself to, to prolong her own existence, it's a massive ceremony. You know, the entire yeah. fairy nation comes out to witness it. You know, yeah. the person who actually, you know, the, the the ones who are picked to be able to be the sacrifice are seen themselves as the greatest of people to give this honor yeah. <laughs> yeah which is why which is what kind of imagined um which i kind of i kind of quite like about her um, but again so you got that mixture of you, you you do have a very dark side to it but at the same time there is an element of this light going on behind it you know this and the fact that this celebration of death is actually a huge party for them yeah which very much fits in with more of that not necessarily Haitian, but I don't know, I don't know much about Haitian voodoo, but fits in with the uh, Central American, like you know, yes. you've got like the Mex- Mexicans from the dead and things like that. Exactly. Um, fits in with that as well, which is quite interesting. Um, 
and so, yeah. something quite different as well. I think it's it's not it's not quite. I think that that by itself is it's not your. We we use the tagline a lot in the on the actual book itself, but it's not your t- typical fantasy. No, 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 it's not. Um, which is well, I mean, the fact that you've got fairies in the, in this kind of incantation incarnation is is incredibly original. Mm. Um, which is very difficult. It's very difficult to be original. Yeah. In gaming worlds of any kind fantasy or otherwise because so many ideas have been used before well exactly um so it's very difficult to be original um and actually i think uh one of the things that again i kind of on the face of it for moonstone that makes it stand out is is the fairies actually yes um i mean once you then start playing the game actually it's the gameplay and it's everything mm-hmm. about it i think you know i mean you know already that i absolutely adore this game um, <laughs> You know, we've you know, I made that very clear on, yeah. on, on in various places and things, and, I, and I'm, I'm you know, no shame in that whatsoever. <laughs> uh, but that's because I've played the game a lot, and I know all the characters, and I know it really well, and I still think it's the best game I've ever played. But for me as well, when I backed that Kickstarter, I backed it because of the fairies. Yeah, you know that's what I, I thought. Oh, he was look cool. God was look cool. Oh my God, what are they? <laughs> my reaction those things look amazing i want those i want those in my life i want them now you know it was and it was the fairies and you know um like jack who i play most of my games with he's saying he he, he now wants to buy the fairies as well yeah just because, just because he wants to own the models yeah um you know i think that they're a really good selling point for the game absolutely just just kind of a face yeah and you know, tom said that the, the, the fairies are the best sellers yeah um which is not which is not surprising because you can go to a lot of different games and buy goblins. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can work a lot of different games. You can buy humans fighting, but yeah. where do you find fairies that look like this? And actually, exactly. I think gnomes as well. I think that gnomes are almost a bit. I think uh, it's a shame that gnomes get almost a bit lost underneath yes. fairies. You know, because actually, I think the gnomes are really original as well. I think. Oh, absolutely. I love again, the gnomes. It's the incarnation that the that the gnomes are in as well. They're yeah. not garden gnomes. <laughs> you know, just like the fairies are not. Tinkerbell. Yes. There, you know, and I, I like that about both of those factions as well. I think the gnomes are probably my second favourite, actually, after fairies. Um, <laughs> I, I do like the gnomes. I didn't originally. I originally, when I when I first got involved, I originally did not like the gnomes. But then, as we started again exploring the storyline, the characters, I developed a real warmth for them. I think that's they are so homely. Yeah, you know? they're <laughs> They're, they're, they're probably like the only, I think, nice. Yes. If if you had to label a a group as good, it would, it would be the gnomes. Absolutely. I want to go to Mama Gimble's house and have a Blast stew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you know she would do good stew. Yeah, and then, and then I want to go and have a beer with Morris and, and <laughs> Jack. Um, and uh, I, I want to go and sit by a fire and listen to Graddock talk about his stories. Exactly, at his watch. It'll just make me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Exactly. Uh, And then you know, if I'm being a little bit risky, I might go and visit the the fairies and get killed. But you know, (laughs) (laughs) or or the goblins. Yes. But the funny funny thing is, Um, actually, um, I think part of the thing I say about the gnomes, I I have to get this out. There's one thing I think that a lot of people probably some some people will pick this up. Other people probably won't because it's of because of culture. And a lot of the gnomes, actually, I believe, in, in my, my involvement anyway, and I, I think, I believe Tom would probably agree with this, because, of course, we do share a similar culture. 
um, is that we tapped into something that, in my opinion, is almost quintessentially Welsh. Because that level of community that you see present in the the gnome culture is actually something that uh, is actually very present in the Welsh community. Yeah, that, that actually makes that interesting because I because because you guys grew up in Monmouth or near yes, Monmouth. That's right? correct. Well, because interestingly, I I grew up not far from there either. <laughs> oh really? Like oh, I, I grew up in Herefordshire. Ah. So just a bit further north. Well, it's just down the road, yes. Yeah, so for those who aren't familiar with British geography, Monmouth <laughs> <laughs> is in sort of South Wales, but on the English border as well, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so it's not. It's, and then like I, a I, river I, next to it, and on the other side of the river is England. Yeah, so it's right, right, yeah, it's right on the English Welsh border. Yeah. And then I grew up about 50 miles north of there, similar kind of thing. I was 20, 10 miles from, from Wales. And actually, I can see it in in that kind of West Country side as well. Those, those yeah. small communities. And actually, I think you do see it more in Wales than you do in England. Mm. Um, as a whole, that's very stereotypical. I mean, yes, I mean, it's it's, it's about. I think was I remember um, I saw a sign on a wall, and I, and I think it's it, for me it, this is this is something that again it probably to, to a lot of people would make no sense at all. But this for me is the inspiration, as it were, behind the the background of the known people. And that is anybody can hug, but only a Welsh person can kutch. <laughs> can what? Kutch. What does that mean? <laughs> exactly. That's my point. Um, a kutch is a diff. It, 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 it's it's like a hug, but it's not. It's impossible to describe. But it's basically it's it's a sense of enveloping warmth. And it's that's that's the, that's the that that right there is the inspiration, as it were, behind the gnome culture. To to, to be hugged by a gnome is to be kutched. <laughs> Brilliant. So <laughs> I, this just made something pop into my head, and I, and I know I know the answer to a couple of these, but um anyway, but I want to ask a question. It's something I think interesting because how many? I know a couple, but how many characters that were made? were based on real people. Hmm. Or do you not want to say? I am personally aware of... Or based vaguely on real people. From book one, I'm aware of three. There might be more from Tom's side, but if so, I'm not aware of them, mainly because um, the initial creation of characters was done entirely by Tom. Right. And the background of them was then explored later on between the two of us. Um, but the um, none of the background, well, the, the background of one was based on Tom. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is actually a joiner, but anyway. Um, and the <laughs> others are based on what was it? The name of one is based on me, and then there's the look and personality of another that's based on another guy that um, Tom and I grew up with. I didn't really know him, but Tom did. But I did. I, I was in the same town, so I counted. <laughs> right. Cool. Cool. So we've got. Um, I'm, I might want to mention this. Yeah. Um, so we have um, the one that was based on a, uh, I say a guy that um, Tom's very good friends with. I've met at a tournament. Lovely guy. Didn't realise that he was like 
you know, in the, in, you know, in the same school and all that. Uh, and that's the character of Fritz. And the guy, <laughs> Fritz, looks like him, talks like him, has the personality. This guy is exactly like this guy. And, um, yeah, absolutely legend of a guy. Um, then, of course, we've got Boom Boom McBoom, which is um, based loosely on myself. Yep. <laughs> and um, it's because, you know, I'm, I've got receding hairline and I'm grumpy and I have a shotgun and I want people to get off my land. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, the, the, the reason, the, growing up, I had a nickname that was given to me by a friend and that was uh, Richie Boom. Oh, uh, right. And as a result of that, um, a lot of my friends picked up on it, and I, um, I had a nickname, Boom Boom. Um, and as a result of that, Boom Boom McBoom was uh, a name Tom picked. I That's cool. <laughs> and then, of course, we have Young Jack. That's uh, that's um, that's the fluff wise is heavily based on Tom. Yeah. There's one thing in particular. <laughs> Well, well, Tom, want you to share this? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's the story of the. Oh no, there's another one as well. Of course, I missed off. There's and there's of course Joanna. I forgot about Joanna. Yes. Yeah, well, like, Joanna was book two character, isn't she? Yes, so, book two character. But yeah. uh, the final story, the final story in the deluxe rule book is an in, is a meeting between the gnome princess Joanna who is based off Joanna, Tom's real girlfriend, yeah. and the character of young Jack. And while I have no idea how those two actually originally met, <laughs> in my head, it is entirely the headcanon of, the how, of how that story goes out. <laughs> Most importantly, with the fact of Tom getting really, really flustered at the fact that his hair is not sitting the way it should be. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, so um yes. Yeah. So that's, okay, that's, 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 that, that popped into my that wasn't something we discussed before we started this, but that's something that popped into my head. I thought I I I knew about Boom 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 and I knew about Young Jack because we'd talked about it before. Yeah. Um but I was interested to know if anyone else was. And also I knew uh, about Yes, I'm yeah. not sure. I don't think there is for anyone else. I mean, obviously, um, with some of the stuff we've got coming up with um, the Kickstarter, then there's at least one yes. character who is, of course, based on somebody. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm fairly familiar with that one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, get to, we'll get to that later. Um, yeah, so I think that's I think that's kind of book one covered as much as I kind of wanted in terms of the background. I think that, yeah, basically, the, 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 the lesson from this is if anyone wants to know more about an out in book one, it's going to buy book one. Absolutely. Because, <laughs> you know, and why wouldn't you? It's such a good book. I'm so glad that I added it to my Kickstarter. And if I hadn't, I would have bought it anyway, I think. Um, but yeah, it's a great book. And not just the narrative, but the artwork in it. Yeah. And, and just the finish of it. I think actually that's something that I was really impressed by when I received the book is that it was a product from a Kickstarter and the finish was just perfect. Yeah. I know that Tom, um, I remember talking to him about it with the models as well as everything else. He's quite sort of i wouldn't say ocd is not really it's almost like it sound like it's a bad thing but he was a perfectionist yes with with the models and with the gameplay and with the book as well and it really and he he almost when i was talking about it he almost was saying it like it was some kind of bad thing i was like no mate that means it's perfect <laughs> <laughs> the, book, the book is absolutely brilliant it's it's, it's, it's you, i don't know what else you could have done to make it any better 
and yeah. same with like the models like they, they are like the sculpts are exactly how they should look um and yeah there was you know i know that there was issues in the sculpting with bits breaking and things but actually yeah. the, the design of them and the look of them yeah is almost perfect and i'm actually going to do a different podcast uh either my next one or another one where i talk about just the models themselves mm. um so we'll talk about it too much now because that, that's going to come in another episode <laughs> um but yeah i think that's book one covered so the next thing really is for you to say as much as you feel like about what's coming up in the future well, um obviously the... obviously we'll uh we mentioned it in the last episode and it's kind of everywhere at time of recording is that there's a new kickstarter coming soon there is exciting on the 27th of uh march 2019 good um, memory so shall we <laughs> i don't know i probably remember <laughs> that <laughs> so shall we focus on that for now yes and I think what we'll do is focus on that because that's something that will be really useful for us to discuss. I'm also, I'm also interested to know a bit more about it anyway because actually it's not a narrative I know as much about. Yeah. And maybe we'll save the rest of book two narrative for another podcast. Sounds good to me. Cool. Well, do you want to fill us in as much as you want in the lesson? So, yes. So the Kickstarter is introducing the new faction to the world of Moonstone called the Lesher Vault which, of course, is a name referring to the cultists of the god Leshevit. Now, Leshevit is... Like, the... Wait, fill that in. Pardon? Yeah, you might want to fill that in. Yes. Leshevit is the old god of Torba that was of entropy and nature. So, you know, so we're talking about birth, life, death and rebirth. And just like death and taxes, you know, these things are all, you know, it's going to happen. You can't change it. And that's what this god is of. Um, their symbol is of that of a deer skull, which I just think is a really impactful image by itself. Yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And yeah. he <laughs> is. And, and because he, I mean, he in himself is almost like an embodiment of the commonwealth and dominion combined because we talked earlier about how everything has a shade of grey well he is grey because you know yes there's you know yes there is you know entropy does involve death you know there is decay decomposition um, you know all this horrible stuff going on but from death and decay does spring new life and so this yeah. is kind of their whole deal. You know, they might be, you know, to, to some people, they'd be seen as death worshippers. To others, they see, be, they'd be seen as life worshippers. It all depends on your own, on your own personal view of things. And so it's a little bit of a offshoot for us because it's allowed us to explore an awful lot of new concepts, which we've wanted to explore for a while. And that is, from my point of view, largely down to um, Eastern European folklore, as opposed to the more Germanic um, and Western European that we've got at the moment. And there's an awful, and, and part of it is the fact that you do have that whole, you know, I mean, we're all familiar with things like the, uh, the, you know, the Brothers Grimm fairy tales. Yeah. And how you've got the Disneyized version now, but what we all know about the original versions, um, 
my personal favourite that I didn't even know until actually quite recently is the story of Hansel and Gretel. Now, of course, we all know it's the story lot. of Hansel and Gretel. It's, yeah, it's a lot. pretty horrible story by itself. Yeah. But what I didn't know was what happens at the end. And that they didn't just kill the witch and take her house and go back home. They killed the witch, ate her, and then took her house and went back home. Yeah. Yeah, there's a reason why they're called the Brothers Grimm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um. So you know, and this and so this was something that you know we we we've had we've been able to touch to certain degrees on this sort of thing to so far, but at the same time you know we we haven't focused so much on it and this has been a great opportunity to really explore that side of things but what but by doing so still from the shades of gray view so that you know we're still having fun in there we're still having humor but at the same time we've got this you know dark side to it but likewise we're able to really push that so we you know so therefore whereas before we might have a character who's slightly amusing and a character who's slightly sinister now we can have you know one of the things we're looking at is having character a character who is pretty really horrible and another character who's absolutely hilarious and in doing so yeah. it's again it's it's creating that counterbalance yeah and, and they and they can stand side by side in a less yes. remote truth can't they and of course when you've got, got, uh, and, I, mean, and, and, I think it's okay to mention i think it's okay to mention yeah. the characters because by the yes. time this is out those have all been so you've got characters like um uh lou has it lou bard or low bard uh lou, lou, Yes, Lubard. Lubard the giant, who's a yes. blind giant, um, yes. but uh, well, he's not necessarily like, but he's quite sort of sinister in that he's sort of swinging this huge sensor, um, sensor bear, an aromatic, aromatic sensor. Yeah, and he's quite sort of, he's quite, he's very religious, isn't he? So he's, yes. He's, um, and then on the flip side of that, you've got Brother Daniel, <laughs> who, who. Well, I might as well say now is 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 loosely based on me, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is great. I think it's, I, I'm so so happy when you said you're going to do that. So I'm literally yeah, ecstatic, and and I'm, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm really appreciate the fact that you guys have let me contribute to his design and yeah. play style and everything, which has been fun, fantastic. But he is hilarious. I love him most. Which, which, when I get the model, I'm going to paint this on his sign, which was the thing that you said. Which is the end is nice. So free ice cream to everyone, but not for you. <laughs> you don't get free ice cream. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna write on inside. Free ice cream to everyone. For you. <laughs> um, I just thought that just that just made me laugh a lot, and it still does when I think about it now. Like he's a bit <laughs> yeah. mad, but also quite funny. But also like, it's like, it's like the end is nine. That's a good thing. <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, yeah. So for those who who are not familiar, who haven't seen it, Brother Daniel um, um, is a he is literally a you know dooms, doomsayer, um, and he and I I, I I find the concept of doomsayers so funny. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, for those again, those familiar with UK culture, especially London culture, you've got um, the uh, sinner. Are you a sinner or a winner guy? You know, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming. Are you familiar with this guy, Daniel? Um, uh, no, I'm not familiar, but I'm familiar there's with one it. guy, and he um, oh, had this really strong. Um, I think was it? I think it was Scouse accent. And he used to hang out on Oxford Street in London, 
And so he, and he, he would he would there with like this big boombox type thing and all these signs and he, as people would walk he would with the microphone going, are you a sinner or a winner? Maybe <laughs> <laughs> be a sinner when you can be a winner. <laughs> wow, brilliant! <laughs> I didn't know people that existed. <laughs> this big massive bum bag. <laughs> And so yeah, that's the reason why. I mean, you were part of the. I think you were part of the process for this as well. So we have to have a bum bag with this guy because this guy, this real person, had this big bum bag he carried around with him. Yeah. And um, and so the, all these all these different factors were there. Um, and the idea is that he he's saying that, you know the end of the world is coming, because as far as he's concerned, you know, I said he worships this god who's all about entropy, and he's saying the world is going to end and it's going to be by my by my god's hand and he's going to rebirth it all. But that's a good thing. It's brilliant. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So going off a tangent a bit there, but yeah, basically that's why um, it's interesting about Leshevolt action. I think. Um, I mean, actually, uh, I mean, the video will probably go up before this podcast as we did some playtesting of some of them yesterday, and um, they were very interesting to play with because they're very different to the other factions to play with. Yeah. On the tabletop, there's activate. We definitely, we definitely tried to do quite a few different tactics with them. Yeah, I mean, I I, I honestly played them really badly <laughs> <laughs> because I just didn't. I, I mean, and, and, I, and I made really textbook errors. Like I activated my healer first, <laughs> mm. <laughs> and, and then sent one of my healers out on the edge. It's like, oh, that was silly. Played <laughs> <laughs> so it very well. Um, and to be fair, I was playing against Jack, who was using gnomes, and he played yeah. his, and he played the gnomes really well. So. Um, but it was still really interesting to, 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 to play them because they're very different. Yeah. Um, and I and I played essentially two of the box, obviously the boxes that are coming out in the Kickstarter. So I played the End is Nigh troop set, which yeah. is Brother Daniel, Kavanagh, the Jungler, and yes. the Leshevolt Priestess. And then I played um, the Witches. Yes. Um, which is called a, a Witch in Time. That's and uh, so Zoya, Antonia, and Danica. Yes. Um, the witches I really liked. They were my favourites actually. That frightened me. My own character. <laughs> um, <laughs> he was funny. He was funny. He did catapult one of them across the board, um, <laughs> which was which was fun. Um, but actually, the witches I think of a really. I really like the mechanic in there is where they're better when they play with each other. Yes. And they get even better if one of them dies. <laughs> yeah. In other words, that's even better because usually things get worse. <laughs> they get better when they when they people die. Yeah. Um, so I really yeah. like that as well. The, the witches were something I'm really happy with in terms of the the idea of them, because I felt that there was what there was one thing that Moonstone's fluff law whatever was missing, and it was interesting because if you look at the game itself and the product creation, all of this sort of stuff. Um, everything there follows the rule of three. Yes. So all our box, all our troop boxes have three characters, and you keep. And that's, that's the first thing I can off the top of my head. There's constant the number three keeps coming up. Um, they, um, on the uh, arcane cards, they go to num- they yeah. goes to number three, um, and th- and they were and there's only those three ones, and all these different things. You have three. And, 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 and in the melee cards, there's three of each. Exactly. The rule of three is constantly present. Three attacking ones, there's three defending ones, and there's three of each of those. Exactly. Yeah. And if you look at almost any culture in the world they all seem to have the same thing and that is the story of the three hags yes 
Yeah. You know, got like the Beaks had it with the Furies, Macbeth, you know, all these different things. Um, and they all are present. And I felt that was something that we were missing and we needed to introduce our three hags. So yeah. that's who the witches of the day are. But I really like the fact that the, the three witches all look really different. Yes. I mean, I, I'm going to release this podcast after Tom has released the images of the of the of the witches. They look and good, don't they? They look really they good. Look great. And, yeah, they're great. And, and I'm going to make sure this comes out after that because I do not want to spoil it because they look brilliant. I like the fact that there's a younger one, a middle one, and a and an old like there's, there's like the stereotypical hag. Yeah. Um, there's like a bumbling kind of witch-looking character. Yeah. And then that's the basically sexy character. I like um, the word turkey. <laughs> uh, <okay. laughs> all right. But yeah, but, but I like the fact that you we didn't like you didn't go for just three-looking witches. They all look really different. Yeah. They all, they all play really different. Um, but they have that really interesting connection, um, which I really liked. Um, yeah, I think the Lesher Vault will bring something very interesting to the table for I hope the player. So. They're going to be, they're not going to be an easy, I mean, this is going off the narrative side of things a little yeah. bit, but they're not, not going to be an easy faction to play. Yeah. It, well, virtually every single character was, can we create something that's almost... I mean, for those who are familiar with Magic the Gathering, one of the things that for me was involved and in both the narrative and the game idea was actually t- um, almost tying in with, um, I mean, for those who are familiar with it, uh, with the unglued concept. I don't know Magic the Gathering at all. So, That's fine. So Magic the Gathering, of course, they do different series. And one of their series was called the Unglued Range. And the Unglued Range was almost a comic range. So you would have things like um, what was it? Um, I think there was one. Of, it, was, it was called the um, the undead poultry geist. So rather than poltergeist, <laughs> it was a, a chicken ghost. And right. it was something like if any any time the the opponent tries to damage this card, if you stand up and do a chicken impression, it takes no damage. Right. So it was this element of silliness, but at the same time, there's also there was also an of quite a bit of darkness in there as well. Um, and this was something that we um, I, I looked at from my point of view because the Lesher Vault are very much my baby. You know, I've had, you know really really strongly involved in them. And um, there's and so an awful lot of it, especially to do with um, the cursed in particular, um, who are an upcoming one to be in the in the Kickstarter. Um, yeah. Every single part of them was like, right, I want something that is different, that is unique and unusual. And so, I mean, the most I would say is, um, I've, I've got no problem saying this, one of what I'm, oh, I love is the character of the Revenant. Yeah, I, I was hoping you'd say that, because I really like that one as well. That's my favourite. Out of the Cursed, that's my favourite one. Yeah. I had no idea how the rules were going to end. I came, I, I basically just gave, went to Tom and I said, look, this is the idea. This is what he's going to be. And I can, I'm happy to say this. You know, he's an undead character. He's a, he's a revenant. For those who are familiar yeah. with, with the idea from the you know, fantasy, he's a revenant. He's an, a, a human or a, a mortal who has been killed and brought back in his corpse. Um, and just like, this, like with the classic stories of revenants, he has unfinished business to deal with. And so because yeah. of this, every time you kill him, he keeps coming back. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, and the only right. way... He can die is if he finishes his business. Exactly. And so, exactly. So <laughs> that's and, that's, and that's a great thing as well because he's got a really powerful. He's got a really powerful ability, but if you use it, you kill him and you take him out of the game. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's got it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, that was all Tom. That was all Tom. But I went to him and said, look, this is the idea. This is what he is. His concept is all around that he dies and comes back again. Yeah. Well, you I, go I, nuts. I, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I've play tested him once so far. Uh, I think I was the first person to play test him, which is quite fun. And exactly. he was very interesting to play with. And talking to Jack about it as well, because he was my opponent. But he doesn't play against. Because with most characters, when you get into combat with them, you're trying to kill them. Yeah. Whereas with him... You're trying to not kill him. Exactly. <laughs> what you're trying to do is reduce him to about three or four wounds and then leave him there. Yeah, because there's nothing you can do then. Because <laughs> then there's nothing you can do. Um, you're trying not to kill him. Yeah. Which is brilliant. Um, I know that Tom's still banding the rules around about, about how to make him, because at the moment he looks like he could be a bit too good. Yeah. Uh, so he needs probably needs a little bit of a nerf. Yeah. But, um, I think he's a very interesting character. Yeah. Um, and then, and, then, and then the great thing is you got, and we talk, mentioned this earlier, you got the Revenant, who's quite a serious, he's a serious character. There's no comedy in him, particularly. Yes. Um, and then you've got Boris the Bunny Summoner. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, which, which you can mention now, definitely, because the artwork has already come out as well. Yeah. You know, he's a slightly mad wizard who summons murder bunnies. Exactly. Um, because who doesn't he, like murder bunnies? Who doesn't like murder bunnies? I mean, that is just <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Is literally perfect. I, I I can't wait to play a game where I've got Brother Daniel, like <laughs> the Revenant, then maybe the witches, and if I've got a space left, I'll have Boris as well. Just so <laughs> I have, you know, I can have the Revenant in combat alongside a murder bunny. <laughs> that will make my day with the Revenant trying to get, do his unfinished business, and there's a murder bunny next to him. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I mean, one one thing that I think is it's not it's not going to come out it's not going to come across until the art is complete and this that, and the other. But one thing that I'm also really looking forward to showing off more of is the character of the beast. Yeah. So do you want to explain a little? Because I'm. Yeah. You, you you go ahead and explain a little bit about the beast. So the beast is heavily inspired by the original story tale of Beauty and the Beast. Right. And the idea is that just like in the original story, he is a monstrous looking character, but he is still a human noble at heart. And so his concept is this duality that he looks monstrous, but he he doesn't actually play monstrous. Right. So he's more about board control and fear inducing and all this sort of stuff, despite looking like he should be something that's going to rip your face off. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I would like that. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Um and then obviously the other one in that in the curse box set is Anya. Yes, Anya. And that's basically that's like correct and do correct me if I'm wrong, but this is my impression of it, it's like Jekyll and Hyde. Is it a little yes. bit of that or am I wrong? It is it is. She's actually she's based off a character from and this is the thing, this this character started the whole thing. This from this character started the entire faction, and that is um, it's, she's based off a character who was featured in the very first Witcher novel. Okay. So the book, the book, the book is called The Last Wish, and in it, it featured a uh, a princess who was cursed to at night transform into a ravenous monster. Uh. 
and that's the, that, that, that it's as simple as that and because the thing is um the the witch, the witch novels are brilliant eastern european stories again all based on eastern european folklore and so i so again i'm, I'm listening to I'm, i was listening to them on audiobooks and then as well come this is brilliant i happened to work with a polish woman at the time and i was saying look i'm really this is really interesting can you as the person who knows about this give me some more information on it so she did you know she she loved her own her fairy tales from, you know from where she grew up as a kid so she would tell me about them and all this sort of stuff and it, it was a brilliant inspiration for the whole thing cool. and in the case of um anya she is um a young disney princess who transforms into a flesh-eating horrifying monster <laughs> yeah I, I, yeah yeah i played that in her as well um and her like combat heavy profile yes she has has two cards doesn't she yes her combat heavy one is horrible (laughs) (laughs) and she i can't remember who she was against but she's completely murdered someone Um, and it was really fun because on the last attack action i just turned back into a nice sweet little girl again (laughs) yeah um and started healing people again this is very nice. Yeah. Um, I like, you know, I do like it. I, actually, I, I, there's not a single at all. I, mean, I don't think there's a single character in the whole game I dislike, but there's not a single character in the Leicester faction that I've seen so far that I haven't thought that's awesome. Mm. Um, you know, I really like all the characters. Um, I think they're very interesting. And um, I think that what, what, and this actually goes for the whole, the whole range, actually. What, one of the things, the things I really like about, Moonster as well is that you can almost it's very easy to just build your own narrative when you're playing yes um and that part of that is to do i think with the mechanics of the game it's very easy to build a narrative in the in the melee oh yeah and absolutely like you know because you literally can almost see it happening mm-hmm. uh, and the same with the arcane as well um that bluff mechanic well first of all it's obviously like really original which is really nice in a game yeah. but again you can build an out about it because it, it means that you create a relationship of some with your opponent more because mm-hmm. you're trying to learn to read their face and, and there's another guy so jack some people will be familiar with is my fellow yieldy battle reps player and we play we've been playing games together for 12 years um but i also regularly play moonstone with a guy called ryan um, and actually he only plays moonstone because he used to play warhammer as a kid and then i actually work <laughs> I, work, I work with his mum <laughs> she, she, she 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 was my ta uh at the school I work at, and then mm. he was talking about wanting to play games again. And I said, "Well, you can come come over to my house and play a game." And this was about the time where uh, I think it was just before the Games Expo, actually. But it was really heavily into Moonstone. I said, "Well, we should play Moonstone because it's brilliant." And he he loved it. But his favourite part of the game is the bluff mechanic, yeah, not the melee, which is interesting because most people only say it, it's the melee mechanic. Yeah, but his favourite is the bluff mechanic because he and, and and you can see it because he loves bluffing. <laughs> <laughs> um and he often bluffs when he probably shouldn't <laughs> um, and if I, I mean, i've got to know that and he he always thinks i'll tell the truth so i i often get a few sneaky bluffs in because he thinks i never lie yeah um which is really interesting um and again gone off, off topic again there but that doesn't really matter what <laughs> um so you're right every single game has a storyline and I know a couple of times in the past, um, I would look. I, w- I was trying to like write up some battle reps of myself, my own, my own, and I found it so easy to create a story behind it. 
because it yeah. wasn't just you know two you know player one versus player two it was a themed you know because pe- people but because of how the synergies of the characters work you always end up with a theme in one way or another with your troops and yeah. then and the events of how it was going where things you know because of course even either you know something might miss but in doing so it's, it's explained it's, it's, it's a, a successful calling or failure of a cast of, a, of an arcane ability it's not just you know it doesn't work it's because the ability has been missed or there's been blocked or this that and the other and then of course you've got the catastrophes which is, yeah know, which, something is happening it's actually happening yeah, yeah. yeah like his gun flung up in his hand or the spell has backfired exactly. and i think that's that's also coming back to the lesser vaults again is really interesting in the lesser vaults which is not the case i don't think in well, apart from possibly the fire spitter, where you might want to blow him up. Yes. The, the, the Kamikaze fire spitter. In the Lesher Vault, there's quite a few catastrophes that are quite useful. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and there's a couple of characters that can make a friendly person have a mm-hmm. catastrophe, which is really interesting. Um, I won't go into details about the, about, about the cards, and I don't really do that, but that's something that's very different as well. Yeah. Is that you. You know, for most people who don't want a catastrophe, like I say, with the exception of the fire spitter, where well, you might want to do that, you know, charge them into good people and blow them up. Yeah. But there's quite a few Leshevolt characters where you'd want to get them around a group of other people and then get off that catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can actually see people, you know, playing catastrophe as a card. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I'm going to go, and I'm, and I, what, what kind of picking? I'm picking catastrophe, and you, you, and, you, and you can look at you going, what? <laughs> you know, because that's not what you'd play in, in it with anyone else. I mean, in itself, kind of that is a bit of a risk we are running because, of course, whenever a game does something that does involve you know new thinking and new concept ideas, and I said, even though we're trying, even though we're, we're doing everything we can to make the Lesher Vaults moonstony they are still different and the moment you introduce difference and change obviously you run the risk of putting certain people off um and i need to point out that you know following the kickstarter we are going to go on to do a book two and book two does not involve lesser vault in terms of characters it's an expanding on the commonwealth and dominion so you know we are not forgetting about this we're not we're not saying that it's you know this is the direction we're moving we are staying moonstone yeah, yeah, and it, it is, it is, it, it is a gamble we are taking, but one that we think actually makes everything better. It doesn't. Oh, I, you know, I agree. Yeah, and and um, I mean, I mean, we've had discussions before, and I, and I, I had a few misconceptions about what the Lesher Vault was supposed to be. Yeah. Um, but I actually think, I mean, we'll mention it quickly. Like in in book two, there's a good what 15 new characters coming. I think yes, something like in that. Possibly, I think there's more than that. But and yeah, possibly more. That's the top of my head. I know there's at least 15. Um, and that's both in that's humans, gnomes, fairies, goblins have all got loads of new characters in. Um, so there's plenty of the good old fashioned moonstone stuff coming in. Exactly. Um, and actually, what I think the Lesher Vault bring in is something different. And they, I mean, it should be. I mean, pe- there, there, will, there will be people who will whinge because people love to fucking whinge. <laughs> um, you know, all the other kind of games I play, like when I, I play 40k, and people who whinge about eighth edition not being good as seventh. People who whinge about Age of Sigma not being the same as fantasy. We'll just play fantasy then. <laughs> people who people who whinge about when Guild Ball changed. People whinge about that. It's like, I yeah. love to bloody whinge. But yeah. actually, if you don't like Lesher Vault, don't play them. <laughs> you know, because exactly. actually in the end, yes, yes, Moonstone, I hope, will become a competitive tournament game. 
because it, it works very well as a tournament. I've run two tournaments. Yeah. Um, I think it does work well as a tournament game, but it's also just a really fun game to play with your friends. Exactly. And that's, that's got to be the core of it as well. It's got to, it, and what I think actually, and again, it's off topic really, but from the, 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 you know, the purpose of this podcast, but one thing that again is brilliant about Moonstone, and I, I could talk about it for days, but <laughs> it's, it's, it is good for tournament play. I've run two tournaments and it worked really well. Yeah. Everyone enjoyed those tournaments. They ran, they ran like clockwork. The timings worked perfectly. The games worked fine. Um, but it's also really good fun to play just yeah. a friendly game. I mean, I play mainly friendly games, but for a game like Guild Ball, when that, they, for me, that game has been focused far too much down to just tournament, um, to the extent where, I no longer want to play it because it's taken the fun out of playing a fun game. Yeah. Because it's become too competitive. People measuring in millimeters with their inch measures. <laughs> oh, you've not. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't bloody matter, surely. Um, <laughs> I just want to sit down and have fun kind of thing. And that, yeah. that is all for that, which is a shame because the game is brilliant. Yeah. But that got, Guildball got spoiled for me by basically people cheating in tournaments. Um, whereas I don't think that'll happen in Moonstone because it's got, it's still got a big focus down there having a fun time with friends absolutely i um, mean i i whenever whenever i get the opportunity i always say you know one of the core factors the core values of moonstone was focused on what i personally refer to as the social contract between players you know yeah, that's that great. Yeah. i i don't play games to play the game i play a game to have an excuse to spend time with my friends yeah, definitely, and, it, and it's the same like like me and Jack play a game just about every week, but it's not really about playing the game. Exactly. The, 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 the game is an excuse for Jack to come over and, and have a chat for three hours. Exactly, you know, you have a couple of beers, have something to eat, you play your game, and yeah. you know, hopefully it's fun, and you talk about it afterwards. You talk about it during. I mean, the amount of times I'll play a game with Tom, and we'll be playing it, and halfway through it. I'll actually be talking to him about potential strategies that he could do himself that would beat me. Pierre, yeah, because we'll, I'm suddenly we'll like, ooh, actually, this is a really yeah. idea. What do you... And yeah, I'm yeah. to myself, why am I telling you how to beat me? <laughs> yeah. But yeah but it's, it's, it's because it's, I'm not trying to win. I'm trying to have fun. Yeah, yeah, and exactly, it's exactly the same when me and Jack play. And actually when me and Ryan play as well. Um, we'll, we'll be discussing what to do. And I'll say, well, this is what I would do is why and he'll say okay and he'll say it doesn't necessarily follow my advice and my advice isn't necessarily the best advice yeah and it's not me trying to make him lose either it's just this is what i would do um but yeah um i think that yeah that's what is really good about uh, moonstone i think it it will keep that that um because i think that the mechanics of the game mean you have to build up a relationship with your opponent because of the way the game is played even i mean even when we were playing it even when I was demoing it to people in Games Expo and you only saw them for 30 minutes, I felt like I got to know those people quite well. Yeah. You know, there's some people, I mean, some people came back again and again to play more games. Yeah. Um, and actually, and the people that came back were people that bought it as well. Yeah. Um, it's great. And they, but even the people who just came once, played for a bit, I felt like I got to know a bit about them. Yeah. Um, because of the way they played. And that was a really interesting experience. And this has been, it's been the same when I've demoed it to people. I've, I've run, I think, three demo days in Norfolk in my local game mm. store. It's been exactly the same. You've got to know a bit about people with the way they played their game. Yeah. Um and they've got to know a bit about you and that's and that's that's really what it should be about. Exactly. Um well, I think that and that's a really nice place to round this off. I agree. Uh, that's a lovely way to end this. <laughs> yeah. 
and we've covered the narrative really well with a few tangents, which is absolutely fine. <laughs> you know, that's that's great. Um, it's been really interesting talking to you. I've 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 learned some really new things about the narrative, which has been really good. Um, it's been really interesting having a chat about the background and Moonstone. Yes. Um, and I really hope that people listening have enjoyed it for a start. Um, <laughs> I, I can't see why you wouldn't. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah. Um, I guess I'll just mention again Kickstarter coming out 27th of March um, I personally have no idea what the, the, the what you what you could what the cost of that, of that is, is to people but trust me it's worth every penny um, <laughs> uh, I've seen Absolutely. all the characters that are going to be in it and they are worth absolutely worth every penny they look, they look brilliant um, and it's quite a short Kickstarter I think three weeks I think uh, yes possibly two um, I, think it's, I think it's three I can't. It's 27th of March to I think something like the 16th of April. Yeah. I think I think sounds like three weeks. Um, but either way, it's, it's not it's not your standard it's not your standard month or whatever. No, no. Yeah. Um, but again, I haven't got a calendar in front of me, so it's hard for me to say. <laughs> so. um, yeah, definitely worth. Look. And and again, if you haven't got it already, definitely worth getting the book. Um, a lot like, of a lot of blood, sweat, and tears went into that. That's for sure. Yes, and and you can tell because it, it's very well finished. Um, you know, it's a it's a really lovely it's a lovely book to own. And I and I I often take it on like journeys and things just to flick through. Mm. I still even though I know I know it like the back of my hand, <laughs> um, I still like to flick through it and just look at the pictures sometimes and, and things like that. And um, yeah, it's a lovely thing to own. Mm. So yeah, thanks a lot for for chatting with me on this. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I think it's been great. Um, I'll try. I will try at some point to get these up on on iTunes and in, in various places. At the moment, it's only on Podbean, but I will try and expand that if I can. Um, cool. Thanks a lot for listening, everyone, and I hope you enjoyed that.